With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can give your lawn or garden beds a pop of color and protection. Right now, get a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10. Help your soil retain moisture longer with color that lasts up to 12 months. Shop Memorial Day savings for a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch. Five bags for just $10 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here, I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. Writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, I have a meaty middle to help you understand different points of view in writing. A tidbit about words at the intersection of relationships and technology. A familect story about daywalkers. And a listener story about apostrophes on baseball cards. What is point of view? For fans of the book The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, let's think of point of view as the babblefish of literature. It's a universal translator turning your brainwaves into the perspective through which your readers will understand your story. Luckily, it isn't wet, it isn't slimy, and you really don't have to stick it in your ear. (laughs) There are three main points of view that you can use, all with different strengths and weaknesses. First person, I rock, we rock. In first-person past tense, the problem is time. The story is told from some indefinite point in the future looking backward, and the viewpoint character already knows how everything turns out. A character using first-person past tense would say something like, I reached for his arm three seconds too late. The creation of present tense was a solution to bridge that gap, because storytellers and readers both crave immediacy. But since many readers are turned off by first person, even more by present tense, it didn't work so well. That's why third person limited with deep penetration is the most popular way to tell a story these days. But more on that in a moment. First person limits you to only what the viewpoint character can sense, feel, and think, but it creates deep intimacy. One of the best reasons to use first person is it allows us to see from a total stranger's eyes for a time. It also offers the opportunity to play with your readers. As an author, you have to know your character inside and out. You know what your character would exaggerate, tell truthfully, hesitate over, and even leave out. An unreliable narrator lies to your readers. Is that okay? Absolutely, as long as your readers understand that the character is a liar and they're given the chance to figure out what is and isn't a lie. First person is generally the go-to for beginning writers. It seems so easy, as if it would flow like water, but it's widely understood by experienced writers to be the most difficult point of view to do well. Great examples of popular first-person books are Suzanne Collins' Hunger Games series and Stephanie Meyer's Twilight series. Second person, you rock, you all rock. Most stories, fiction and nonfiction, are written in first or third person. How-to books, on the other hand, are often written in second person. Consider cookbooks. Recipes are invariably written in second person, with the imperative mood. Do this, do that, now do the other thing. 
The you is implied. It's interesting to read snippets of a story written in second person. Aaron Morgenstern did it in the Night Circus, as we talked about in episode 306. But most readers find it tedious and difficult if it goes on too long. Consider the idea of writing some flash fiction told in second imperative from the perspective of a man who hears voices telling him to do horrible things. It could be interesting, even compelling, but most people certainly wouldn't want to read an entire novel done that way. Having said that, there are always exceptions, notably James McGinnery's bestseller, Bright Lights, Big City. Second can be done in fiction, and it has the potential to make your reader part of the story, but it has a lot going against it. Third person, he rocks, she rocks, they rock. In the third person, the narrator isn't present as a character. Just as there's a distance in time with first person, there's a distance in space with third person. Writers have always struggled to break down those barriers to make the story, the drama, the conflict as up close and personal, as immediate as possible. There are two kinds of third narration, omniscient and limited. In omniscient, you're godlike in your perspective, seeing everything but touching nothing. Time, distance, and perspective don't constrict, and you know all, see all, and tell all. It's like surfing the web. You have access to untold amounts of information, but you're detached, never actually there. Since you tell every character's story, omniscient doesn't allow for an intimate connection with the characters involved. As you can imagine, though, you can use this viewpoint to get across tons of detailed information quickly. It's ideal for huge, sweeping epics. A good example is Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events is a more recent, less epic example. In Third Person Limited, on the other hand, the narrator is one character at a time, aware of only what that character thinks, senses, and feels. You have no access to the inner lives of other characters. Unlike in Omniscient, you can never change viewpoints mid-scene, but after a scene or chapter break, you can. Limited has the advantage of allowing your readers to become completely engaged with your characters. It can be very intimate with deep penetration, and we're not talking romance here. Third-person limited can go with light or deep penetration into the viewpoint character's mind. In light penetration, you show scenes only where the character is present, but show them as they actually happen without bias, only giving the character's thoughts and feelings when you slip into the character's mind. The creation of deep penetration was a solution to that problem of space I mentioned earlier. You show scenes from the viewpoint character's eyes, not necessarily how they actually happen, but as that character perceives them to happen. You never actually leave the character's mind. It's a point of view that melds first and third, attempting to take the best from both. The world is completely colored through the character's attitude and perspective and is done so at the time events in the story take place. It's easy to find examples. Throw a rock into a bookstore and you're bound to hit several on the fiction shelves. George R.R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire series, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series, and the Harry Potter novels are all third-person limited. There are some uncommon variations of these points of view and the difference between narrator and viewpoint character, but that's a babble for another day. That segment was written by Joshua Esso, a full-time freelance editor. 
He's edited for bestsellers Piers Anthony and David Farland, including the multi-award-winning novel Nightingale, and he was the lead editor at Urban Fantasy Magazine from 2014 to 2015. You can find Joshua teaching about pitches, back cover copy, and editing at the Superstars Writing Seminars in Colorado. His approach to editing is to help you make your story the best version of itself it can be. You can find him at joshuaso.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A-E-S-S-O-E dot com. Next, in honor of launching our new podcast, Relationship Doctor, and his episode about three ways technology can ruin your relationships, I have the rundown on a few words related to online dating. First is swipe right. This phrase originally came from the dating app called Tinder because in the app, you swipe right on a profile to show that you like that person. Your hottie isn't notified that you've swiped right unless they've swiped right on you too, and then it's a match. But unless you're both feeling good about each other, swiping right just tells the algorithm, I like this person, or maybe more generally, this is the kind of person I like, show me more like this. But swipe right has moved beyond dating, both in apps and in real life, and people now use it more generally to say they like something. For example, you might see a hot fudge sundae and say, I'd swipe right on that. It's not in the major serious dictionaries yet, but it's been in Urban Dictionary since 2014. And not surprisingly, swipe left means the opposite. You swipe left to say you're not interested in someone on Tinder, and you can use swipe left as slang to say you don't like something. Ghosting isn't new behavior, but technology makes it easier, or maybe harder. Ghosting is when someone you're dating cuts off communication and disappears, like a ghost. I got ghosted in college, but there wasn't a verb for it back then. Today, when it's so much easier to be in touch, when everyone's just a text message away, there's really no denying that you're being avoided. You can't just say, hmm, maybe his roommate didn't give him my message, or maybe her answering machine is broken. If someone is suddenly unavailable in every way, you've been ghosted. The English word ghost is quite old and is one of the words that goes all the way back to Proto-Indo-European, so has similar words in related languages. We get the noun ghost from the Old English word gast, but according to Adam Online, it also existed in Old Saxon, guest, Old Frisian, jest, Middle Dutch, geest, Dutch geest, without the H, and German, geist. The last one we'll do today is Tinderella. That's a play on the fairy tale character Cinderella in the dating app Tinder. A Tinderella can be a woman who spends a whole lot of time on Tinder or going on dates she set up through Tinder. Sarah's been a real Tinderella lately. Or it can be a name for a woman who vanishes or who you can't have, like Cinderella suddenly leaving the ball at midnight in the fairy tale. Maybe you accidentally swiped left instead of right and now she's gone. Or maybe you swiped right, but she didn't, so you don't get a match. And it just occurred to me that when Cinderella fled from the ball, she essentially ghosted Prince Charming. See, I told you it's not new. That's it about technology from me, but in his newest episode, Relationship Doctor has some great ideas to keep fubbing from getting between you and your partner. Fubbing is a blend of phone and snubbing, and it's what you're doing when your eyes are glued to your phone instead of to your honey. And since the average American now spends three to four hours a day on a phone, you've probably been on both ends of fubbing. So check out Relationship Doctor wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Next, I have a familect story from Scott. Hey, Grammar Girl, this is Scott. Uh, I was calling with a familect story. Um, in my family, my wife has got very fair skin and burns very easily. However, I have slightly darker skin. And so usually the joke is I can go out into the sun and not worry about sunscreen because I'll tan and not really burn. And in our family, uh, my wife has taken to calling me a daywalker. This was a reference to uh, the Wesley Snipes movie's Blade about a half-human, half-vampire who could walk around in the day. So in our family now, anytime we refer to people who, who either don't need sunscreen or don't need it as badly because they're going to tan and not get burned immediately when stepping outside, we refer to them as daywalkers. So that's my story, and keep up the great work. Thanks, Scott. Your message made me look up information about Blade, and it looks like something I might enjoy. Also, I checked to see if I had any familect stories about relationship words like tinderella or fubbing, and I didn't. So if your family calls it something funny, when you ignore someone by looking at your phone, or when someone is especially attractive on a dating site or something like that, let me know. The number to leave a voicemail with your familect story, the story of a word your family and only your family uses, is 83321-4-GIRL. Also, a longtime fan named Jim Considine wrote in with an interesting story about an extra apostrophe after my recent episodes on the punctuation. He sent me a photo of baseball cards for players from the Baltimore Orioles in 1954. And the players' jerseys have an apostrophe in the name Orioles, which shouldn't be there. The team is named after the state bird, the Oriole, and the name is plural, the Orioles, not possessive. Here's what Jim says happened. It was the Baltimore Orioles' inaugural season, and the team was formerly the St. Louis Browns. The Bowman Baseball Card Company had to make the cards, but the new uniforms didn't exist yet. So the artists used photographs of the players in their St. Louis Browns uniforms and then modified them by hand to create an approximation of Orioles jerseys. What's really strange is that some cards from that year show the jersey with an apostrophe and some don't. My guess is that they had multiple artists working on the cards and only one artist made the apostrophe mistake that nobody noticed. So if you're a grammar fan and a baseball card collector, you might want to look for 1954 Bowman cards for Dick Littlefield, Clint Courtney, and Dick Krajowski. There may be others, but those are the ones I saw. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl, and my main internet home is quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear debris with the 40-volt jet fan leaf blower. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.